Good morning. As Pastor Gracie said, my name is David Hollis. I've uh, met many of you. Uh, I serve as the campus minister for Belmont Wesley Fellowship, one of uh, the 15 campus ministries in the Tennessee Western Kentucky Annual Conference. Um, It's a pleasure to be back preaching. Uh, I'm not generally invited back somewhere, and so uh, I was surprised uh, when I received the call, but um, I continue losing bets uh, to Pastor Sam, and she makes me preach um, as punishment. But at least this time, she is staying uh, here uh, to heckle me directly rather than send mean texts later on. Um, We are thrilled you are here to worship today. Uh, As uh, Gracie mentioned, we are today on our fourth and final Sunday of a series called Back to the Basics. Uh, It being January, it is the start of a new year and start of new opportunities. And so the uh, notion of honing in on the basics of our faith and of life with God. And we've talked about worship and baptism and Holy Communion, and today we talk about Sabbath. Uh, We could just as easily have said uh, surrender, transformation, community, and rest. So we have talked about what it might feel like to commit to showing up for worship, which you all did today, so great job. How life might be more abundant if we surrender ourselves to Jesus. That baptism is a launch pad into living a claimed, commissioned, and called life. That communion and community are all about being seen, known, and loved. About having a seat at the table and making room for everyone to be included. And today we are exploring Sabbath and rest. And in doing so, uh, we're going to start at a pretty weird place, maybe one of the weirdest places on earth, and that is at the middle school dance. I'll give you a moment to recover from that. Uh, This obviously should have come with a content warning. But um, there I was at the middle school dance, uh, not quite sure why I was there, but... um, it was obviously incredibly weird. Um, the, the smell is one that I've never quite been able to match and, and thankful for that. Um, thankfully, Axe body spray had not yet been invented, and so um, it wasn't quite that type of smell, but it, it was rough. And so we were all there, kind of glued against the walls, not wanting to make eye contact with anyone. And for some reason, someone in charge felt the need to play the song Saved the Best for Last by Vanessa Williams. Now, I like Vanessa Williams. She has a beautiful voice. Um, That's a a nice song. Uh, I'll remind you of a few of the lyrics. Sometimes the snow comes down in June. Sometimes the sun goes round the moon. Just when I thought our chance had passed, 
You go and save the best for last. To middle schoolers. I, it's hard for me to convey to you how weird that was to me at that moment. Like, our chance has passed. Like, this is sixth grade. What, what chance? What are we talking about? I've since wondered a lot about the person playing that song. Like, were they okay? Was everything all right with how they were doing? It was just a really weird experience, and that stuck with me. Now, fast forward a few years to another really, really weird time. My first semester, freshman year of college. Also bleak for other reasons, also weird smells. I was at the time wearing cool water cologne for some reason. Many of you, again, well, Michael enjoyed that a lot. Many, many of you can connect with that. And so there I was in Introduction to the Old Testament with Dr. Jean Davenport at eight o'clock in the morning, expected to be conscious, and sometimes I was, but I wasn't the best student at the time. And I remember kind of, you know, things going in and out, but we were talking about uh, the beginning of Genesis, first part of the Bible, and he said something like, a lot of people think that people are the greatest thing God ever made because we come last. And all of a sudden, you know, the voice of Vanessa Williams starts going in my head and I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. And then he said, those people have never bothered to read the Bible. People don't come last. Sabbath comes last. He had a point. We're talking about, you know, the number of days. Sabbath is made or not made, depending on how you look at it, on the seventh day, on the last day. And Dr. Davenport went on to talk about um, biblical criticism and what is uh, generally called the documentary hypothesis uh, that many of us had to learn uh, in terms of uh, if we studied religion and, and the Bible. And uh, J-E-D-P, I can tell you later what all of those mean. But basically that there were different communities sharing stories about God. And they even used kind of different names for God or they had kind of different styles. And those, those stories were finally woven together in what we have now. And you can see different pieces of which community was saying what, when. And Dr. Davenport said that the, the scholarly consensus is that that first story in Genesis, there are actually two creation stories, one after another, quite different, using different names for God. That first story was really more of a poem or a hymn. And if you start to think about the way that that, that story goes, you know, it's very kind of set out like a hymn. Uh, you know, there God said, let there be, and there was, the evening and the morning, the first day, these kinds of things that are repetitious and structured. And he said, we think that that was a hymn from priests and that it was ultimately a hymn to the Sabbath, 
that they are saying Sabbath is the greatest gift of God to creation. And that really did stick with me. I, I thought about that a lot. And when we get to our scripture today in Luke's gospel, we see the Pharisees and Jesus arguing over the Sabbath. And um, again, I think it's crucial to um, step back a little bit before we are too harsh or critical of the Pharisees. Um, the, the tremendous scholarship of, of A.J. Levine um, to, to talk about the ways in which our, our readings of the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees is often um, deeply rooted in anti-Semitism and how we see them as Jewish but Jesus not Jewish when Jesus was as Jewish as they were. Um, we need to take a step back. And, and when we look at this and read it as charitably as possible, the Pharisees are deeply concerned for the proper observance of Sabbath. They are following the rules that were given to them. And the rules have been with them for so long that now they've started like very you know, minute details of what counts as work. And when does the Sabbath start? If the Sabbath starts at sundown, well, when does that start? There are rabbis who are arguing over the color of thread that tells us when night begins and when Sabbath begins. And what I see in that story is a group of people who have taken something that was meant to be a gift and have turned it into a rule. And we have done that with lots of different things. I'm, I'm a rule follower in a lot of ways, and I, I want to know the rules, and I want to listen to the rules and obey the rules, and so sometimes I can get carried away with that. But again, if we take Sabbath as what it was meant to be, we see it as a gift. One of the most meaningful places we encounter the notion of Sabbath is in the book of Exodus. So in Exodus, we have the Israelites, God's people, who are burdened by work. They have, they have multiplied, they've been fruitful and multiplied as God commanded them, and now there's too many of them, and Pharaoh is scared of how many of them there are. And Pharaoh says, I am going to work them to death. I am going to put so much work on them that they die out. And their cries of agony come up to Yahweh, and Yahweh notices their cries and says, I am going to set my people free. They were not meant to live like this. And so God sends Moses to Pharaoh. And the very first thing that Moses asked for in that story, Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go on a four-day weekend. I'm not joking. It doesn't literally say that in Hebrew, because I don't think at the time they knew what a four-day weekend was, but he says, we need a break. We need to go for a few days to have a festival in the wilderness to worship and to observe our laws, and then we'll come back. So he asks for a little bit of a break, some time off, some PTO. And Pharaoh says, no, no, the problem is you're lazy. You're lazy. You don't want to work hard. 
No one wants to work anymore. And so Pharaoh says, I'm going to make your work twice as hard. I'm going to be twice as brutal to you. And so now we have this contest between Pharaoh, who thinks that he is God and was God of Egypt with lots of other gods, and Yahweh, who is saying, I am the one true God. Pharaoh, everything Pharaoh does in that story leads to death. Yahweh, everything Yahweh does in that story leads to life. Pharaoh is a God who, for Pharaoh, the only good you are is what you make, what you produce, what you do. For Yahweh, you are good and of infinite worth because on the sixth day, God made you and said, you are very good. I don't judge you by what you make. I don't judge you by what you create. You are not a human doing. You are a human being. So Sabbath reminds us of the economy that we are going to live in. Are we going to live in Yahweh's economy of life and fruitfulness and thriving, which has to involve rest? Or are we going to live and die under Pharaoh? It's not really um, negotiable getting rest. We're made, we're creatures, we're animals. We have to rest. It's built in to who we are. A couple of years ago, I started on a path to um, working on a Master of Social Work to be able to do mental health counseling, uh, something that's become really a passion of mine, particularly working with college students. And in, in any mental health work, one of the first signs that things are not going so great is sleep. You can't fall asleep you can't stay asleep, or maybe you sleep way too much, you can't get out of bed. And so anytime I meet with students, I say, how's your sleep? How are you sleeping? What are your sleep habits? And I know that when things start to get off with that, we need to watch out. And we live in a society now where we have to make this a priority. Um, tomorrow morning, Katie and I are getting up, we're driving to the airport, we're getting on a plane and we're flying to Colorado. We are not taking our kids. <laughs> we have amazing grandparents who have descended upon us from Memphis who will take care of our kids. If you wanna visit them and take them casseroles, you do that. That would be a great thing for you to do this week. But we're gone. And, and I learned really, really early on in ministry that if I was going to make it more than a few years in ministry, I had to have time where I said to people, I'm going away and you can't reach me. People say, well, how can I reach you? No, 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 no. You can't reach me. I'm going to be up on a mountain. This thing probably isn't even going to work. You aren't able to get in touch with me because I need to be fully 
available in that time to the person I love most in the world, myself. That was a joke. That was actually a joke. I came out of the first service. I didn't, I didn't, say, I didn't say who that person was. It's Katie, by the way. But I didn't say, I just kind of left it up there. And Sam came over to me and said, I totally thought you were going to say myself right after that. And I said, that's a great line. I'm going to use that in the second service and see if it gets a laugh. But you were a little nervous. Like, is this guy really a full-blown narcissist? Like, do we need to check? No. It's Katie. Most of the time. So um, if I am not fully available to her, during certain times, I'm less available to her the rest of the time. If I'm not fully charged, fully renewed as a dad of young kids, I'm gonna be less available to them the rest of the time. That's how that works. So we're getting away. And I realize, and I know, that being able to go and get on a plane and fly to somewhere and ski down a mountain, all of that is a tremendous luxury that a whole lot of the world will never, ever know. We live in a world with a whole lot of pharaohs. We live in a world where there are people who get no time off, who get no sick leave, who get no anything. And God's justice in calling us to make sure that we have Sabbath also is to make sure that all the world has Sabbath. God's justice is always a call to economic justice, to changing the patterns of societies that decenter production and center life. So we are called to be about that work. So you're going to say, David, that sounds real nice and all, but, you know, how do I do that? Well, first thing is, with everything, it takes some practice. Anything is really hard until we develop habits around it, until we're used to kind of setting aside that time, until we know how we're going to structure things in order to have that Sabbath. So it's hard at first sometimes, but we develop habits that help. Another thing that I started doing really, really early on in ministry is I scheduled Sabbath. I put it on a calendar because I was the kind of person who, if someone said, hey, can you come to this thing? And I didn't have something to do. I said, sure, even though I didn't want to go to that thing at all and I really needed time to rest. But I started scheduling rest, Sabbath, walks, so that I can say to someone, actually, you know, I have something. I have something on the calendar. I'm not lying to them. I do. The final thing is, um, there again, is a lot of arguing over what can we do on the Sabbath and not, or what counts as Sabbath or whatever. And generally what I've come down to is if it feels like work, don't do it. For some people, cleaning and purging and getting, you know, that, that doesn't feel like work. That helps them have more energy and focus and everything like that. So that, that's fine. For other people, that would feel like work, so don't do it. Um, I read a lot for work, 
but I love to read. And so I can separate, for me, what's reading that's restful and renewing me and energizing me and what's reading for work. And I don't read for work when it's Sabbath time. A really important thing, I think, is to try and connect with creation, to be in the midst of what God made, to be around other animals and critters and to be observing what God made alongside us. Anytime we talk about the Sabbath, um, we, we connect, generally speaking, with the Ten Commandments because it's a big one. And there are, again, two versions of the Ten Commandments. There's one in Exodus, there's one in Deuteronomy. If you put them side by side, there's a lot in common, but there are some little differences. Um, in both sets, the command of the Sabbath, or I'm going to say the gift of the Sabbath, is pretty explicit. It's, it's got a lot of words there, whereas a few of the others only have a few words. In the version in Exodus, it says that we are to take a Sabbath because God took a Sabbath. God rested, so you need to rest. It's kind of saying, hey, you're not better than God, or you're not, you're not going to you know, do any better than God did. If God needed to rest, you need to rest, so rest, and everybody should rest. In Deuteronomy, it says something different. It says, you were a slave in Egypt, and I delivered you from that. I delivered you from a person and from an economy that only knew you as a commodity. I delivered you from a place where the only thing that mattered was the work that you did. I delivered you into my economy where you are worth everything because I made you. And so is your servant. And so is your animal. And so is the land. All of that is now in my economy. And so you need to rest. And all of creation needs to rest. Because in delivering you from that, I have given you a gift. Maybe it's the best gift I've ever given you. Maybe God really did save the best for last. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.